0: Hey listeners, Jess here. I'm channeling my inner crime junkie this week and giving you guys something different aside from our normal episodes that we post. I found an article by Michaela Winberg and this article shares four real-life horror slash true crime stories, all of which happened in Philadelphia and she even interviewed a former city medical examiner to get the inside scoop on them. These are the stories of Marie No. Gary Heidnick, Troy Graves, and Antonio Rodriguez. Being a medical examiner or an autopsy tech, we are definitely not squeamish about dead bodies, A medical examiner's job is helping determine the cause of sudden deaths across the city. Pathologists examine tissue and they poke and prod at human bodies whose life had been stolen so they could understand why the victim had died. It's sobering work, and you never really get to speak to happy families. However, you have to take your victories in different ways. And what is a victory in this field? Accurately identifying the cause of death. That can help restore justice, and it can ease the healing process for loved ones. A former assistant medical examiner of Philadelphia and corpse connoisseur who Michaela interviewed has seen some pretty spooky stuff. He's helped identify plenty of murderers, even serial killers, in Philadelphia, all the while observing their impact on the field of medical examination. These four gripping and sometimes gruesome examples changed the industry forever. Marie Ngo, also known as the woman who killed all her children, had a life in Kensington, and her life was long viewed as a series of sad misfortunes. From 1949 to 1968, No watched ten of her children die, the cause of eight of them believed to be sudden infant death syndrome. The other two were lost to complications at birth. So many of Noh's children died that city medical examiners started to wonder whether there was some sort of genetic issue present in the family. In 1963, Life magazine published a sympathetic article about the tragic situation using the pseudonym Martha Moore. Noh continued to fly under the radar, living in her Kensington home for decades. But in the late 1990s, a New York woman was found to have killed all five of her children, and their deaths had been initially misidentified as sudden infant death syndrome. That realization sparked new interest in noe's situation. Interest in the case was renewed after the book The Death of Innocence was released in 1997, and an investigative article appeared in April of 1998 in the Philadelphia magazine. The Philadelphia Police Department reopened the case when the author of this article turned over his investigation results and eventually got her to confess to smothering four of her children to death. A plea agreement was reached in which No admitted to eight counts of second-degree murder, and she was sentenced in June 1999 to 20 years of probation with the first five years under house arrest. As a condition of her plea agreement, No agreed to psychiatric study in hopes of identifying what caused her to kill her children. She was eventually diagnosed in 2001 with mixed personality disorder. Her husband, Arthur No, was not home at the time of the deaths and was not charged. According to doctor's notes, she brought in one of her babies to the hospital claiming he was choking when she was feeding him, and she had to, quote, bang it out of his chest. The baby arrived at the hospital pale- But not cyanotic. He remained in the hospital for 19 days. Five weeks after discharge, they returned to the hospital and No claimed the family cat had laid across the baby's face that morning and the baby was crying and blue. The ER doctor assessed this was a possible attempted suffocation. The baby was sent home and eight days later, the rescue squad took the baby to St. Christopher's emergency room, dead on arrival. He was found by his mother. She claimed he had a cold for about a week and was feeling cranky. She put him down for a nap and then heard the crib rattling. The baby didn't cry out. He was face up, gasping for breath and turning blue. No said she started mouth-to-mouth resuscitation and then called the rescue squad. The medical examiner's office got an anonymous call from a woman claiming to have known No for 27 years and who was convinced that she was doing something to the children. She claimed she could not remember what happened to the others. This medical examiner says this used to happen often. Smothering does not usually present any obvious signs on a dead body, especially if it's a child. And for a long time, when investigating a young death, if a medical examiner couldn't find anything suspicious, they just label it as SIDS and classify it as a natural cause. No's case changed the way many medical examiners look at childhood deaths. Medical examiners will now often label the cause undetermined to leave the door open for future investigations. And now that classification could save lives. If someone calls it undetermined at the beginning, it sends up red flags to other investigators who may be involved somewhere else. If you say the death was natural, they will just go with that. But three or four undetermined makes you very wary. Our next story is The Man Who Put Women in Cages. Gary Heidnik's reign of terror started in North Philly in 1986. At his home at 3520 North Marshall Street, Heidnik kidnapped eight women and killed two of them. He put them through hell, keeping them locked in cages in his basement, starving them, and even torturing them by electrocution. His first victim, Sandra Lindsay, died due to a combination of starvation and untreated fever. A fact not for the fan of heart. Heidnick disposed of her body by dismembering her and cooking her in the oven, then making her into dog food. Quote, that certainly was a grisly case, recalled this medical examiner who started in the office a few years later. That's really kind of a different level of torture. Police came to Heidnik's home due to complaints of a bad odor, but left after hearing Heidnik's excuse, saying, I'm cooking a roast. I fell asleep and it burnt. Heidnik tortured another woman, Deborah Dudley, via relentless electrocution. He disposed of her body in the North Jersey Pine Barrens. Heidnik was apprehended in 1987 when one of the women he tortured managed to call 911 this former medical examiner of Philadelphia called the case a cautionary tale that proves the need to take prior crimes seriously. Heidnick had been arrested several times for aggravated assault against his neighbor in 1976, kidnapping his girlfriend in 1978, then spousal rape in 1986. He was executed by lethal injection on July 6, 1999 at the State Correctional Institution Rockview in Bellefonte, PA, and his body was cremated. As of 2022, he was the last person to have been executed by the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. He remains the third of only three people who have been executed in PA since the resumption of the death penalty quote, it wasn't the first time he had done those things. With so many of them, there's something leading up to the ultimate event. They don't just wake up one day and say, I'm going to do this. Our third story is the sex assault perpetrator that happened in the heart of the city. Philly residents of the late 90s came to fear a man known as the Center City Rapist. Troy Graves struck at least five times between 1997 and 1999. His first noted sexual assault attempt was a woman living on the South 21st Street. Then he hit three consecutive times at locations along Pine. In May 1998, Graves raped and murdered Wharton doctoral student Shannon Scheiber, his only fatality in Philly. The next year, he sexually assaulted a woman on Nodane Street. After his handful of heinous crimes in Philadelphia... Graves relocated to Fort Collins, Colorado, where he continued hurting women until the early 2000s. He was not apprehended until 2002, after almost a dozen women had suffered at his hand. Scheiber's death was especially tragic. This pathologist recalls that a neighbor reported hearing sounds of a struggle and called the police. Arriving at the scene, they knocked at the door, did not hear anything, and left. Quote, he was in the process of strangling her, and they didn't even break down the door. That was particularly sad. On April 23, 2002, Fort Collins police arrested Graves for a series of six rapes near Colorado State University. Graves' DNA matched that of a Center City rapist and the DNA left at Scheiber's murder scene, a link made in May 2001 that had led law enforcement in both states to work together to create a list of individuals who had connections in Fort Collins and Philadelphia. Fort Collins authorities also linked Graves to at least one of the Colorado crimes through fingerprint evidence. Graves pleaded guilty to the Fort Collins assaults on May 17, 2002, and to the Philadelphia crimes on May 30, 2002, in order to prevent a possible death sentence in Philadelphia. He was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole in both states, but he serves his time in Colorado because he pleaded guilty there first. Our last story of this episode is one known as the Kensington Strangler. The so-called Kensington Strangler struck Philly in 2010. Dubbed a, quote, sexual serial killer by the media, Antonio Rodriguez raped and killed three women in just two months. Elaine Goldberg, Nicole Piacenti, and Casey Mahoney. The 22-year-old claimed that he just wanted to have rough sex and that the women's deaths by strangulation were an accident, but medical examiners quickly called BS on that. On November 3, 2010, the half-naked body of 21-year-old Elaine Goldberg, a nursing student at Glendid Mercy University, who had recently recovered from a drug addiction, was found in the parking lot on Ruth Street. Ten days later, the body of 35-year-old prostitute Nicole Piacenti was found in similar conditions less than a mile from where Goldberg's body was located. While police initially claimed that there was no indication that the two murders were connected, testing on DNA collected from both crime scenes was later matched to the same perpetrator. Upon announcing this, several other local women came forward and claimed that they had been assaulted by a stranger. On December 15th, the half-naked body of a third victim, 27-year-old Casey Mahoney, was found in a patch of woods near some railroad tracks of the Kensington area. Like his previous victims, she struggled with drug addiction, from which she was trying to recover. She was dumped in an isolated area and was sexually assaulted. The similarities in the three murders started rumors that a serial killer was roaming the streets, putting pressure on the police to catch this assailant. There was an anonymous tip IDing Rodriguez after CCTV footage was released by the Philadelphia police showing what appeared to be a black male in his early 20s with long sideburns who walked with a very special gait. Police arrested Rodriguez on August 29, 2010, but because Philadelphia police had such a backlog of more than 5,000 cases, they were unable to link him to the murders until January 10th. He was arrested again on January 17th, but he claimed that he initially met the victims to use their services, but during the acts, he would start to choke and beat them and they eventually died. He also acknowledged that even though he knew they were dead, he nonetheless continued to have sex with their corpses. The delay in his arrest caused controversy due to the time DNA processing took, which estimates suggesting that if it had been processed fast enough, Rodriguez could have been arrested before he killed Mahoney. The backlash led to calls for some funds to be allocated to the Philadelphia Police Department, who had trouble with properly testing kits connected to violent crimes. Rodriguez was charged with three counts of murder and was held in prison without bond, Prosecutors announced that they would not seek the death penalty citing the accused's history of mental illness and the fact that he waived his rights to a jury trial. At his subsequent trial, Rodriguez's attorney attempted to bar the prosecution from presenting his client's graphic written consents from being used in court in addition to questioning the legitimacy of how they were obtained in the first place. In the end, Rodriguez was found guilty on all counts and handed three consecutive life sentences. One of the prosecutors, Assistant District Attorney Carlos Vega, later noted that his actions were simply evil, citing the fact the sexual abuse Rodriguez inflicted post-mortem and him posing his victims' bodies. After his sentencing, Rodriguez was transferred to serve his sentence at the state correctional institution Rockview, where he remains to this day. This pathologist testifies to deaths of strangulation quite often. Even if you do it really well, the victim still has about 10 seconds of blood in their head and maintains consciousness. Even after they pass out, you have to hold them for a minute or two until they have brain damage, he says, and then three or four minutes until they die. So for someone to say, I didn't mean to do it, that doesn't really fly. Still, it can be hard for a medical examiner to identify a death by strangulation. There are usually no internal signs, and oftentimes a killer won't leave a mark on the victim's neck. The only helpful signs is if a victim has popped blood vessels in their eyes and their face, known as petechiae. When the neck is being compressed, you're cutting off the jugular veins first, but your arteries are still pumping blood into the brain. There's an increase of pressure, which results in the rupture of small blood vessels. As always, I know we all do it, we get wrapped up in these true crime stories, but there are families and loved ones affected by these cases. CARES Philadelphia stands for Crisis Assistance, Response, and Engagement for Survivors. This is a division of the Philadelphia District Attorney's Office that seeks to help families of homicide victims. There's also the MFA, Families of Murder Victims, which is a victim advocacy and services program specifically for family members and friends of a homicide victim, regardless of the status of the case. The link to these programs will be in our show notes. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. If you enjoy our podcast and want to learn more about forensics, keep on listening. You can find us on Instagram at insidethemarkpod and DM us any episode suggestions you may have. We'll be back next week with a brand new dissection. Bye.